Hey guys, it's your girl KJ coming back out to you on this podcast, Hear Our Voices. Thank you for coming back one more time to listen to us about, you know, different things like that in New York City. Let me get some things in the way. We have, as you know, a Spanish speaking podcast, and we also have different platforms like Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And we would love that you can follow all our platforms. I know it sounds like a lot, but honestly, on some of the platforms, we do put out different information. I can say I'm very on, I'm on you know Instagram the most, so you get a lot of updates on the stories on Instagram. If you want a job, if you need training, and I want to say all of these things because they're nonprofit, they're free. So you can definitely join our family and get free information. Also, we're gonna have the resources packet down below. If you need anything from um, furniture, clothes, shoes, pampers, formula, is down there. Again, let me just tell y'all again with this, we don't supply it. We just looked up resources that we know we can help people out there who might need it. So thank you for coming back again, Alyssa. If you, I, I believe wanna say season one, she did two of our episodes about I want to say about leases and things like that. So if you want to go back to season one, if you don't, if you quite don't understand, like myself, everything about leases, now I understand, but before, you just never know about leases and how rents should work and how landlords and things should act towards you to before you go into your first apartment. Even if you go into a second apartment, you'd be surprised what you might not know when your first landlord kind of went over your head about. Go back and listen to those first episodes in season one with our person, Alyssa. She used to work with us and now she's gone. But um, I'm so happy, like she was amazing, amazing. I'm so happy she was able to come back and gracious with her presence, you know? Um, so she's gonna tell you a little bit about what she's been up to and get into our topic for today. So Alyssa, you can go now. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Khadija. I'm super excited to be here and always uh, talking to you. Um, I love it. So um, I think the episode, I don't know what the topic of the episode is necessarily like specifically, but we'll be talking about um, asylum seekers in New York City. Um, my work in that over the past year, I don't really do it right now, just as a full disclosure, but I did work at an organization that was serving um, a high volume of asylum seekers and we were responsible for opening like a resource center for them um, and working with the city to kind of like identify how to serve folks and kind of what they need. Um, and currently I work for a, a, an affordable housing developer slash service provider. So we do uh, single adults, mostly outreach, um, safe havens, transitional housing and supportive housing. So um, I'm excited to be back in housing, but I did have a snapshot and it's obviously related now because there's a lot of people now in the city that don't have a place to go. So right. yeah. So let's say, if you don't know, um, last week, well, technically, by the time you see this video, guys, it would have been about two episodes ago, we talked to our, our other fellow, her name is Lorden, and she's part of the Spanish population, and as you know, she's, again, Spanish podcast, so she's part of that, and we talked a little bit about the asylum seekers and things like that. So we're going to go more in depth, probably not in the nitty gritty of everything, but kind of on the surface level of what's going on right now. Can you explain exactly how a person even becomes an asylum. People might not even know because they have undocumented people and asylum seekers. So they're two different kind of avenues and they get two different kind of lanes in, um, I want to say in the law of things. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of explain that for a person who doesn't really understand how that, that term is used for certain kind of people and not used for others? Sure, that's a good starting place. Um, so for asylum seekers, um, People seeking asylum, those are folks who are, you know, fleeing something, persecution in their country, in their home 
you know, area. So basically they are seeking refuge in another place. So a lot of uh, people that we're seeing are from South and Central America. Um, and they're stating that they are at risk for violence or they're seeking, there's, you know, few economic opportunities for them. So they are seeking asylum for a safer place. And then that's kind of what's bringing them here um, to the States. Um, they are known to the government, so, but they are also like undocumented. So that makes sense. So they are known because they're seeking asylum. They were processed. They were um, interacting with the government um, at the border, but they are, they don't have documentation yet. So they are all waiting for court dates to kind of prove their case for asylum. Um, undocumented is probably what folks are more familiar with. Those are people who have come to the country illegally. Um, they may be known for legal issues or otherwise, but they're here, uh, you know, kind of under the radar. They may also be seeking poor condition, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, leaving poor conditions, but they're not formally kind of asking for permission to stay. Also, I want to add something to that because I might not shouldn't say this, but I know enough people who are undocumented, <laughs> but some of them didn't come, especially because they, they came as a youth. So some people could be, have came here with paperwork, as a, um, if you don't know, I'm Jamaican. So they come here with papers that they call it. And then sometimes they end up overstaying their welcome. So they came here illegally, uh, people that I know anyway, they come here illegally, but sometimes they, they don't update their, you know, sometimes people come from college, they don't update, I think it was F1 or something like visa, and they don't update certain information. So by the time they look around, time has passed. And when you don't get it updated and the government find you, they can take you back or, you know, deport you as they say, back to your country. So it could be another way of, some people do come here legally. I'm not gonna say that's not the case because it, it happens. Yes. But a lot of people that I know in my community, they came here legally, especially as children, and their parents sometimes, they end up being illegal too. And it's like, that's why they have, a, um they had the program, I think it was called The Dream or something like that when Obama was in office that if your parents brought you here, it's not like you came here knowingly, you know, you came here as a child, you follow your parents and they was getting people help with that because it's not like it's your fault. It's really mm -hmm. on your parents' fault to kind of do your documentation kind of thing. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have all different kind of network. I just want to be clear so people don't say, you're yes. forgetting about my side because, you know, people could be touchy on these things. So Yes, thank you for the reminder. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. Yeah, that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's, it's kind of sad. I feel like if your child came in under 18 and they, they came with their parents and it's like, they technically illegally hitting when they get older because all they know is this country. It's just kind of like, are you going to really deport that person who all they really know here is home? They don't even know their own country is home because they've been here over 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. They're sending back to a country to be even, it, is, it doesn't make sense, but mm -hmm. um, that's how it works. And I understand why they do it because they say like, you should have done it the right way. But some people don't have the means or know what to do sometimes when they're in a foreign country, how to mm -hmm. do things kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I can understand. So yeah, yeah. No. go to other countries. Yeah, continue. No, it makes sense. No, I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. And that's a good point for, you know, the people who have recently come. There's a lot of children here now um, that, and that's another difference, I think, with traditional or past immigration waves, specifically from uh, Central or South America. Yeah. They were in the past coming to reunite with family or someone that they knew. Um, so therefore they had like a community, they had someone to stay with, or they had that connection, right? Um, and now because people are kind of just coming, um, they have nowhere to go. And from what I saw when I was working at the organization, 
was we saw mostly kind of like single men coming in the springtime, right? And that was like, we know it, it was a definitely a change, but it was like, okay, single men. Yeah, it wasn't a shock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they were often young and, you know, you know that they're looking for work and kind of like wages. Um, right. But then when we started to see women with children and like grandmothers and families, it That's was like, scary. it's scary. I can remember, I just got chills because I can remember um, days when we were, we didn't have capacity. We weren't planning for this. So it was just kind of like people were coming to us because um, border patrol, this is when Governor Abbott started busing people to New York City without um, without alerting anyone. Right. So border patrol was putting the address of my organization on their paperwork. Um, and the clients didn't know what that meant. No one knew except they were just showing up at our door. Right. Uh, and they knew the, the way Border Patrol knew about us was just because of like, we, it was a big organization. They have like, uh, it's national. So there's local, uh, you know, groups like in Texas. So they're like, oh, just go to the one in New York City. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So they were just coming in like huge, huge numbers. And then when you start to see the families with children, um, it was it was alarming. And I'll never forget like seeing children they have nothing so there were there were children toddlers with like no shoes and they had been here in new york for a couple of days so if you could imagine we were just talking about like mother's day like could you imagine your toddler without shoes they can't do anything they can't <laughs> yeah. They can. yeah so what are you doing so like the grandmother was carrying the, the kid you know the child around but then it's like oh my god like that's when it just kind of like was really hitting me like this is different and you know and again I'm I don't want to take away from people who have been doing this work for a very long time and this is all you know whatever but also like it shouldn't be normalized but right. you think about their journey you know and that's what I'm thinking about the jungles I heard from like yeah. can you imagine no yeah. shoes or your shoes got lost on the way as yeah. a baby yes. A child? yes that's crazy yes like, yeah, yeah. And you have to think that if someone is choosing to do that, they are saying like, this is going to be our best option. Right. You got to be leaving something really, really ter right. terrifying. Um, because you don't, you, I can't imagine anyone would make that decision. Um, just because right, like you don't choose to walk through the jungle. Just because. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's, it's, you know, I always think about that to, to not kind of get too caught up in the like well we don't want them I don't even think that it's that we don't want them here not me but like I don't people. think we have the capacity anymore that's exactly yeah yeah exactly that's really what the problem is and no one was plan planning for this so it's like crisis you know high alert it's like crisis after crisis first we had corona that was a crisis New York was like the epicenter it was like a movie almost like yeah I think it's a movie and I have a foster daughter she's two and um she makes so much noise. I'm like, if this was really the a zombie apocalypse, we would have died just because of your noise alone. We would have got eaten. I would have said, say, baby, I'm sorry, I love you, but well, cover her mouth or something. She'll get us eaten. But it's just like, we had that. Then we have this. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, like, it could have been worse. It could have been another sickness on top of that, and it would have been worse, you know, but it's just like, there's so much things happening. So much funding has to go into these things. We lost a lot of lives in um in this thing. It impacted a lot of businesses. If you look, walk around New York City compared to a couple of years ago, a lot of mom and pop stores, a lot of big stores have closed down, even though Century 21 came back. But, you know, they can afford to come back. But mom and pop mm -hmm. stores can't afford to bounce back after so much things are happening. And the rent is going up sky high. 
is not only rent going up for regular people, it's rent going up for people, store owners. And they have mm -hmm. to pay for everything and they have extra light. They're not like a regular house you use the light, you know, a certain time. If you're a store, you have to have your light on all the time. If you're cooking mm -hmm. food, your stove is constantly on. You got to think about how much that's going to cost plus rent. And God forbid now because the crime is going up, somebody come and rob you, the money you made for that day is gone. Like, it's just so many things New York has gone through. I'm not saying other towns didn't go through this, but for a place was honestly, it's big, but it's not big. And we all live condensing on top, like literally a sandwich on top of each other. It's a lot. It's too much. And mm -hmm. we have, we, we're going to have a breaking point. And I feel like it's almost getting there, but it's honestly not there. But I don't want us to get to the point that we're just in shambles. That's why I don't want us to get to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, you just like, yeah, you hit on all of the things because it's true and it's scary. And like, it's, it's, I just read two things just this within the past couple of days. One, like this bus company, like a school bus company um, in Queens, they, their buses have been vandalized so much that they don't know if they're going to be able to afford to like clean them essentially and keep the business open. And this is like, they've been running this business for a long, long time. And then another one, uh, like a restaurant in Jackson Heights where she owes like a ton of money in arrears and I don't know her deal with her landlord but like she's able to she doesn't know when that like her her luck is going to run out you know like if they're gonna do formal evictions whatever whatever um, but yeah it's the, and then this and then you have all these people who have nothing have nowhere to go and their their trajectory is also unknown because a lot of the folks the court cases are, are so far out i think they're yeah. probably out to like 2025 2026 yeah yeah that's that's not that's a long time and then what are they what are they doing it's crazy i can imagine not knowing my fate until 2025 and on top of that, it might not be one hearing. You got to do multiple hearings to make sure everything is together. So it's like, it might go out to 2026 just because, and it's like, if an example, I do example foster care. If mm -hmm. a judge drop off, a new judge got to take it up. Mm -hmm. That's another prolonging of something else. Mm -hmm. People are going to die in the middle. People are going to retire in the middle. It's so much things that mm -hmm. happen between now and then. And it's like, where should I do? Can mm -hmm. I work? Do I have working papers? That's another thing. What was another thing in the news? Can they get working papers? Can they get this? But also, if you give them these, granted that they are silent, like, you know, silent people, but I, in my mind, I think about fairness. I think about black and white, you know, yes, wrong or right. Yes, there's asylum seekers, but people have been in the shelter or even in New York City who aren't documented this whole time. Unless they have like a the I-10 number, they can't even work above the books. Mm -hmm. So it's like, do you give them this and not give people undocumented this? Should mm -hmm. be, how can it be fair for everybody? And people don't feel like, I've been working my back off with America this long because that's how people can act. And mm -hmm. coming from immigrant parents, that's how I would act too if I was, you know, coming here, working mm -hmm. this time. I'm trying to get my papers together, but it didn't work out because I don't have a good lawyer because it could be have a scammer lawyer, a lawyer too expensive, you can't pay for it. And mm -hmm. people who are usually undocumented, if we get $15 an hour, they're getting eight. It's mm -hmm. not the same amount that we're getting. No matter mm -hmm. what color they are, what most of the time people are undocumented, the people are taking advantage of you, which is sad. They're not getting the same minimum wage. You know, minimum wage is also not that great if you think about how much rent is in New York City. That they're getting paid much less. And it's kind of sad. It's like mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of things at one time. So I know I said a lot. <laughs> it's just, it's so much. It's really it's so a, much. It's a lot. No, you're bringing up so many good points because it's like showing all the layers. It's not just, it's it's like a, it's like a, everyone feels the effects in different ways, right? Um, Like mm -hmm. the, 
and the, the, the main thing is, like we said at the beginning, there there's no plan or infrastructure, right? It would be fine if there was a plan and money allocated, like, yes, we can, this is, we know how to help these people. We know how to help them in the sense of like, we have available housing until you report it. We have lawyers, because that's the other thing that you, you, you mentioned. Um, there's not enough lawyers or even paralegals to help people because there are like certain deadlines by which you have to like apply and submit things and write it the right way. So, you know, we're just like, not, um, we're not prepared for this. And I don't think that there's a time where we would ever be prepared for this, but that's really what the, the, the downside is. And I think that that's the misconception of the Southern, um, states and the governors who are busing people and they're calling the the democratic cities like sanctuary cities and it's like yes you know but that doesn't mean that we are equipped to handle people on this large scale and that doesn't mean that we're like wrong you know because of it like this is not a a problem that we're used to having and we don't just magically have money at this scale to do it i think that's what people think though people think that oh yeah, granted, America can have money. They're also in debt, but that's a different story. I don't know how that works, but that's what it is. But um, people don't think about how much these things are going to cost. And that every person, like one person is going to need a judge to be on their case, a lawyer, a paralegal. They're going to have to be in it. Like, it's so many different things for that one person. And before that one person got here, we had 20,000 already <laughs> who needed help, who doesn't get help. So you have to think about every person who needs the help and whoever person was, I, I, I feel so bad saying it sometimes because I came from immigrants. I'm saying this again. I'm not a person who's just born in America and it's like, I'm here. No, my mm-hmm. parents, my mother was illegal mm-hmm. in the Bahamas at one point. Mm-hmm. She came to America legally and she has a green card now. But I'm saying my parents weren't and are immigrants. Like, my, mm-hmm. I'm first generation. So I'm not like coming from a like, perspective like, oh, I'm American. My grandma was American. My aunties are like, everybody, no. It's, it's hard to say, I want to help people, but the people are here who are in New York already needs the help also. And we don't have mm-hmm. the money to even fund them. Mm-hmm. We don't have the money to put them in a proper housing. Mm-hmm. And because the way things are set up in city and state, some of them don't even qualify <laughs> for things for state level because, yeah, we're the sanctuary cities, the city stuff qualifies, but the state stuff doesn't qualify. Unless mm-hmm. we have a kid who's born in America, in New York or America, the, you don't qualify, but your child qualifies, but it's not really enough to even cover family. I like, mm-hmm. I think there's so much things I'm talking about, and it's just like, I don't think we have enough time in this podcast to even talk about this information, but yeah. it's yeah. a lot of things that we don't have, we're not prepared, we weren't prepared for corona, but who really was? Maybe we should have been. They, they had Black Plague, and they had the Spanish flu, so probably we should be more prepared than we were, but you never know how big a thing is going to be until it actually happens. We can mm-hmm. prepare, 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 prepare all we want, but until that thing actually happens to you, you don't know. Mm-hmm. I could prepare, like before I was homeless, I was like, I need to get into the shelter, I need to do this and that. I didn't know how it was really until I got into the shelter. You can mm-hmm. prepare all you want. Example, mm-hmm. a better time, a wedding day, people who are married. You can prepare down to the T, something's gonna happen wrong. No mm-hmm. matter how much you prepare, you have a person who's gonna have a checklist of everything, something's gonna go wrong, somebody's gonna be late, something's gonna happen to make some ruffle in the, in the in the thing, right? It might not be so big that it might make the whole wedding just go, oh my gosh. If the ring is not here, probably gonna be a bad thing. But if somebody falls by accident, it's not gonna make, like a funny joke, oh, is a person okay? But having, if a hundred things happen wrong, that makes a worse impact 
of what's really happening. And I think that's the problem. We don't, we might have been prepared. I feel like they prepared probably 10%, but we weren't ready for so much things happening at one time. And then the crime rate is going up on top of that. So it's not like only Corona, migrants are coming in, you know? Mm-hmm. We have the crime rate going up in New York City. We have people's mm-hmm. mental because they're in the house are stuck with a probably the you know the you know a abusive person in the house. It could be man or woman because men and women get abused. People don't think about that. Kids are getting abused. Mm-hmm. They have, they're not at school. So they have to be home with the crazy parents who's beating their butt every day. Like people went insane. Mm-hmm. Drug use went up. They're trying to cope with everything else. It was a lot. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but we don't have the funding for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think the other thing that I'm thinking about as you're saying all that is that like, like you said, when you were preparing to go into shelter, like you, you had, you thought you were as knowledgeable as you could be. And that's like a great thing. But then you found out. And it's like, you know, I think about that for people. And we've talked a lot about that. Like, how do we help prepare people? Right. But similarly, it's like the staff, the staff don't even know half of the things. So so then you combine those two things, the people who are like seeking services, whether it's homeless services, immigration services, whatever, they know certain things and they are whatever, but then, you know, the staff are coming with a certain set of knowledge and they're not aligning. Um, And then that's, you know, to to the point of like things going wrong, that's how a lot of things go wrong. Um, People don't know, they don't have enough information um, to kind of, nothing's going to go smooth smoothly, but to have like an under, you know, basic understanding of what to expect. I think that that's like reasonable and it's like the right thing to do. Um, We are not coordinated enough to do that. Um, But it should be a priority, frankly, because it's, it's just not right. It's just, it really isn't right. Like I just heard of a situation not to get too far off, but of uh, clients, who were having incidents in shelters. Um, But what really preceded the incidents was frustration with like transfer requests. So it's like- I could do it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So it's like, okay, now we're talking about the issue. Um, And you know, you think about that with like, yeah, all these, these people who are seeking asylum. What I worry about is they have all these HERCs, these sites specifically for asylum um, seekers, um, and also some folks are in the DHS shelter system. But like, at what point is that going to go away? Like, are we saying we're going to house you indefinitely? Like, when does it end? That's not cheap. I just read of a hotel who switched from homeless shelter to asylum seeker because it's like a lot more lucrative. The, The amount of money they're getting monthly is like, unimaginable um but like for how long how long can we go on that's the real question we yeah probably can't go on for that long my hotel when i used to live in a hotel slash technically a shelter but it's an old hotel it was four thousand dollars for me to stay mm-hmm. there with my daughter i can't imagine how much it costs for a hotel actual hotel to mm-hmm. be housing a person for that month when they know they can get as much as they probably want but they need to, they need to put the people somewhere mm-hmm. so that's what I'm thinking. Somebody told me their organization, their nonprofit, they have a couple of shelters. Money don't have all family shelters. They have they have a couple of family shelters compared to what they really have, like other stuff that they have. And they said they have 800 to 1,000 people a day, mm-hmm. not a month, mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. So that's not counting. I, I keep on saying this, I feel like in every meeting, that's not counting the population. Mm-hmm. That's not counting singles. Mm-hmm. That's counting families. 
-hmm. That means it's more than one person coming into this thing, 800 to 1,000 a day. Mm -hmm. So what about the other shelters? How much are they getting in? Mm -hmm. Because the other day I heard 61,000 people. Mm -hmm. That's a couple of days ago. And usually Mm -hmm. the findings are usually a month old anyway. Just by the time you hear about it and know the proper details for it. But they do everything like a month behind to really get the measurements of what really the numbers are. People go in and out. They might, you know, things happen. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, how can we do this? Mm Because before they came in, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they, like, from what you saw, do you think they were coping very well with the migrants coming? Like, from what the, the measures, the skills that they did have at the time, from like, I'm going to say, they came, they started coming last year or the year before with the family? Last spring. Yeah, like, last spring. Yeah. How do you think they were coping with them? At, at first, I would assume it was kind of turbulence, but do you think they was kind of getting the hang of it a little bit by the time? You mean the shelter providers? Yes. Yeah, I think they were, because I actually did connect with the shelter provider, a family shelter. Well, actually, they do families and single adults. So I had connected with um, someone about it, um, like, how's it going for you? And, like, we were also hearing from families of, like, the different sites that they were at, and some were, like, complaining about some things, and others were saying, no, I'm at this place, and it's, like, really good, you know what I mean? Um, so I think that they were, at the beginning, when they saw, like, the numbers increasing, and were starting to be like, oh, wait a minute. I think that they were, they were trying to figure it out. I can't say that they weren't. I think that like they were really giving their best effort to be like, okay, this is like, we got to, we got to prepare for this, but for like 20 families, you know what I mean? Like you can do your best. If you didn't have Spanish speaking staff, you can like kind of, you know, rush to do that and you can get as versed in like, what benefits are they eligible for? You can, you, they were, I think that they were trying to shift and also like, leverage their relationships with legal providers they were trying I think I I do know and I'm only speaking of one but I can't imagine the others weren't also like doing their best so I think that that was a part of it um but then it just was like this is it's gonna gonna break yeah and then I know DHS is also like they've been approaching a lot of providers um to open new sites specifically for this population and some have and others are a little bit more hesitant to do it um you know for good reason but it's it's really just like a scramble I think every for everyone and every day like how do we get more capacity and and the thing that we haven't talked about but you just mentioned um is the children in the school system um I mean I know that there was some early on there were like you know there are issues with um immunizations and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so I don't know what the class and I've heard from other parents um like classrooms where there were a lot of monolingual spanish-speaking students but like no teachers that could speak spanish so it's like what are you know what i mean and what's the point of that though yeah yeah and then this is like grade school so it's like that's not great for anyone um so i I don't know are coping i would think if a kid came into class and they can't speak any english they might have to give them almost like a kindergarten teacher because we have to learn from the basics we have to know abcs one two threes so i'm not saying kindergarten teachers don't need a, a education but you might have to get like a teacher's aide who could speak spanish to t- or who could you know back you don't have to be a full teacher get somebody who could speak this language and do it don't put like little kids with big kids but get if you have smaller kids get a person who's not even finished school and get them as like an internship or something like that or because they hunter college have all these teaching things mm-hmm. get those te- people in there to do on the job training and that, i think that could help a little bit with catching them up too because they might know they might be smarter than our kids for all we know the problem mm-hmm. that we just have a is a language barrier and that's mm-hmm. the thing, and I, I, that's what I'm afraid of too. 
them not getting the proper education because we don't understand what they're saying. And it's mm -hmm. not fair to them also that they get, they're probably gonna get left back. You know, we, there's no child left behind, but you, who really knows what's gonna happen. But we shouldn't mm -hmm. also push them up because they, oh, they're this age either. We should make sure they know the information so they could be a proper member of society in a couple mm -hmm. of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I had seen recently about um, parents with small children, like daycare age, early childhood, um, and you may have seen them on the train too, that they are afraid to enroll their children in like the um, early DOE early childhood things oh, really? because of, um, I mean, they're just afraid of registering because they don't know what's going to happen. So a lot of, some of the moms are preferring to just like bring their children as they're like selling Oh, I seen yes, I seen one. Yeah, I think yeah. they have to. I think they have to get somebody who's part of their culture, not like who looks like me or just looks like mm -hmm. who looks like them, who has been in here in America a long time. Let mm -hmm. me understand. They might deport you. They might. They might keep your, ch your children. To be honest, I feel like well, we know what happened before with the kids in the, the crate, so probably not the greatest either. So I, mm -hmm. I don't really know, but mm -hmm. I feel like if they're in school, usually they leave them alone a little bit because they get the education they usually bother mm -hmm. parents I feel like more what I see mm -hmm. I could be wrong I'm just saying I feel like but also being in a place that you when you love your child and you don't know what's going to happen it's easier for you to have like keep them on your side so you, if oh, something yeah. does happen you can see it happen and not like oh their school is taking child snatch your child and you don't know where in this big country your child is so mm -hmm. I can imagine how scary that I can imagine having oh. my baby snatched away from you yeah oh, gosh. yeah no yeah, and especially after you went through that journey, like I wouldn't separate from my child. So I'm not like, yeah, I'm not like able to say like they're doing the wrong thing. But I think that it's like just, but what like, it's it's just speaking to kind of like the, um, like now that they're here and then what, you know? Um, and I think you brought up like a good thing, uh, you know, people um, who can relate, you know what I mean? Like there are a lot of small groups organizations that uh you know I don't know how much they're being tapped into to provide that you know kind of like peer I don't know if it's called exactly would be like peer support but just like relational kind of like things I think it is happening but you can't possibly do it like I don't think at the scale of you know the number of people who are here I you never know good example I guess a lot of people coming in but we have a lot of Spanish-speaking people here in New York as you know, New York is a melting pot. And if I guess if worst come to worst, we could use the others who just learn Spanish in school or something like that. But probably should use the people we already have and who are honestly not getting paid that well in the first place. Mm -hmm. Give them a job and have them get people acclimated to living here, how to work things, make them under things, understand things. That's a, that's a whole job. Like people don't think about that. That's a whole job right there in itself. People don't have jobs, boom. I gave you a job idea right there to help out. And don't do it like one person at a time. Do probably 10 to 15 people. That's a lot of people for one person, but people might be better in a, they have their own people. It's not like they always a one-on-one -on -one thing. It could be like a group session and they all tour New York together, learn how to register your kids together as a group. And not only you by yourself with this person you don't, you don't know, but as a person you want on a journey with to get to this country is with you by your side and you're all registering your kid into, maybe even to the same school. So when mm -hmm. the kid go to school, they don't feel alone and they're by themselves with the people who they don't speak the language with. It mm -hmm. might be something like getting mothers together or fathers together who have kids who are all in kindergarten. So it won't mm -hmm. even be like one is in high school, one's in kindergarten. There's something mm -hmm. like that to kind of help keep the community. Because from what I understand, I'm, again, I'm not Hispanic. So from what I see, they're very yeah. tight knit in culture. So maybe yeah. having mothers like that would be a good idea to do that. 
and to kind of help them out and be be better in you know society and not be so lost you know yeah yeah I mean I love that and I think that that's like yeah the kind of communal approach is something that's like really scary to people who are not Hispanic or black so it's like they don't understand it but that's like the the that's the way uh you know and I think that I know it came up this comes up in shelter too but it came up early on that like some of the parents with young children um if they were trying to look for work they quickly learned you can't leave your child with your neighbor uh at the shelter or wherever so then they were like well what am I supposed to do um and it's like welcome to America. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of those people were used to leaving their children home alone at an age that is less comfortable for people here. Um, or yeah, with the, the neighbor, like it's fine. They're all just going to watch out. But um, yeah, it's not, it's not comfortable for a lot of people. That could also be a thing that how the communal thing could work though. Like if we're all 15 to 20 mothers and we, I, I know program they said they, they do a WhatsApp group based on like certain things, similarities that parents have. Mm-hmm. They all in a WhatsApp group, who can watch my kid today? And I'll give you a little pocket money if mm-hmm. you watch my kid while I go to work and I'll watch your kid next week. It could be mm-hmm. a trading system also. Mm-hmm. Also, you don't even want to leave a kid with everybody. But at the moment, we have to use what you have mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of work from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, again, I, don't, I haven't been in a situation. The only thing I've having similar is that my family is not from this country. Mm-hmm. That's not my story, but I was homeless. So I understand mm-hmm. not want to leave your child with anybody, just being a mom. Mm-hmm. And it's scary, but you do also want to make money. You want to make sure you're not starving. You make sure your kids, you want your kids to look presentable also. You don't want your kids mm-hmm. looking out there, snot that they nose, their clothes are dirty, and people looking at mm-hmm. you worse than before because you're not even clean. So mm-hmm. it's like, I can't imagine how um, that situation is. Like, it must be very terrifying being in this country. And for a lot of people who even come out of New York, like Colorado to New York or Maine to New York, New York is a culture shock for a lot of people who don't live here and who didn't grow up in New York. So I can imagine being from another country. Like, and the thing about the TV also fools you, because you go to TV, like watch TV in different countries. I guess even on movies, if you watch it here, but if you live here, it just, I feel like it doesn't make the same effect. If you watch the like stuff they watch on TV, New York looks like meant like is always. 42nd Street, and that's what yes. you see. Like, you're see. That's like, if you come here, you're dreaming big, and you're coming out, your high heel boots, and you're just, you're going, yes. and you're, you're sex in the city life. Yeah. You're like, man, these rats are like cats. These buildings are dropping apart, and you don't know until yeah. you get here. Yeah. New York is not the height that people make it up to be. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, it's got to be a culture shock. Again, especially coming from places that, like, I don't even know, like, the conditions like infrastructure you know what I mean um and then you're coming here and it's like oh my gosh like where where am I I think that I think that they're probably very appreciative of a lot of the things like you know like yeah the safe subway and you can walk around and it's fine and you know whatever (laughs) but it's got to be like um yeah it's got to be like stunning in a lot of ways um yeah kind of strange to think about Hi, thank you for coming to hear our voices podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope to talk to you again next week in part two. Again, if you're a person who wants to um, be a part of the podcast, definitely contact us and we'd love to have you on the podcast. See you next week. Bye.